Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before You this morning, I ask that You would speak to us right now. That our hearts be ready and made open to what You need for us and from us. And what we need from You. That we would listen, connect with You, and be in Your presence. We may learn of You, Heavenly Father, but to know You, and to know Your ways and who You are in Your heart, Heavenly Father, is our desire this morning. May that happen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Today, we're going to talk about the enemy. Haven't talked about the enemy in a while. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says the enemy comes like a thief to kill steal, and to destroy. Jesus says He's come that we'd have life and have it abundantly. You see, the enemy has a threefold plan. And we're going to see this threefold plan unfold in Nehemiah, the verses my wife so wonderfully read for us. And that threefold plan is this. Number one, doubt what is yours. I want you to doubt what rightfully belongs to you but God. Number two, to question your value. And the third thing the enemy wants is to discredit your claim on history and on faith. Those are the three things he wants to do. He wants to create for you a black sheep syndrome. You ever heard of black sheep theology? That's the thing that says... Well, everybody else can have it, but not me. I'm the outcast. Everybody gets it, but not for me because I'm just not worthy. Or I'm not good enough. Or God meant it for everybody but me. Or yeah, He may have meant it for me, but I messed it up. Or some other reason I don't get a part of it. In other words, the black sheep syndrome says to yourself that you can't have what God said He's given you. Whatever reason you might think. This morning I've got a couple of verses that I want to set in motion for us. 2 Corinthians 6.14 It says, There is no fellowship of darkness with light. In some translations it says no communion. It uh, is talking about the relationship of believer to non-believer. And what he says at the end of that verse on the screen says, What fellowship does light have with darkness? The answer is quite simply, None! There is no fellowship. If there's a dark room and you turn a light on, the darkness is gone. If there's a lightened room and you remove the light, the room is dark. They do not coexist. Sin and righteousness do not coexist either. So remember that. And in Ephesians chapter 5, we got verses 8 and 11 for you. And it says that you are light in the Lord. Once darkness... But you don't have that fellowship anymore because you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. And in verse 11 of the same chapter, it says that there is no fellowship with darkness. You were once darkness, but now you no longer have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but you rather expose them. You don't have fellowship with those works of dark. Now, why does it say that? 
And I'll tell you why. Because fellowship with darkness and communing with darkness means that the darkness tells you what's rightfully yours. When the enemy has his way, he will get you to doubt what God says is yours. He will cause you to question your value or to make your value based on something other than whose you are and to discredit your claim, your heritage, if you will. Here is a fact. God and only God alone determines what belongs to you. Only God and God alone determines your value. Only God and God alone determines what claim you have on His promises. Now you might say, well, of course God does. But we begin to tell God and ourselves and let others tell us what our worth is. Or whether we have it or not. But only God has the ability to know because He created you. Your best thoughts about yourself are lower than God's best thoughts of you. How you feel about yourself and about your life does not even come close to what God has in store for you. And it cannot determine God's purpose for you by how you feel or think. God has determined this before you were born. God didn't go, yeah, I'm having a bad day, so you're not going to have a good life this year. God didn't do that. You see, God never had a bad day. He never woke up on the wrong side of the bed because He neither sleeps nor slumbers. His compassions never fail, nor do His mercies. Every day, God has new mercies. We need them, don't we? But i got to tell you something. This Nehemiah character was a godly man. I wish there were more godly men in this world like Nehemiah was. Let me tell you, when Nehemiah believed God said something, he didn't back down. He held it as gospel truth no matter what. He went to the king where he was at, at Xerxes, and he was a great king. But king of the Persians the Babylonian Empire where the Israelites were taken captive were in that area and they were going back and had Xerxes funded the rebuilding of the temple. Found favor from the king's treasury to rebuild someone who wasn't his heritage's temple. And Xerxes did that. And, and when he began to do that, Nehemiah said, you know, I've, I've seen Jerusalem and you may remember the story of Nehemiah. He said the walls were destroyed and the gates burnt. And if it be your will, O king, I would love to go restore that so the people you send back have a place that is safe. And the king said, go and I will fund it. That's important to know. The king said, go and I will fund it and provide you whatever you need, plus I will build a house for you there. And he took that letter, Nehemiah did, and went and began to look at the mess. 
Then he began to proclaim to all the folks who returned from exile, we're going to build this city. God wants His people to worship here. God wants this city rebuilt. And so they wanted to do the work. But we get these fellas. One of them is an Arab, Geshem. Another one is an Ammonite, Tobiah. And another Sanballat. Now, Tobiah, at this time, was a governor. He was a man of authority over a lot of the southern region and others. And Tobiah was not too happy about Nehemiah coming into his area and saying, oh, we're going to rebuild this wall whether you like it or not. How would you like to tell that to the governor in Kentucky? We're just going to take some state land. We're going to do this. And governor says, oh, no, you're not. That's what he said. I mean, that's what Tobiah said. He said, why are you rebelling against the king? And truth is, Tobiah had old information. There was a time when the king said this will not happen because it will cause, uh, shall we say, rebellion. It will cause people to rise up and form their own nation and go against the king. And so the king did not allow it. Many, many years previous, but the new king saw to it that the exiles who returned home to Jerusalem had favor. And he wanted them to be restored and to build their temple. So, Geshem, the Arab, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Sanballat, the Horonite, all said, you're going to rebel against the king. This is a problem. And Nehemiah, (laughs) oh, I love Nehemiah. You know, Here's how some people think. Well, he is the governor. And God says, I honor the foes and authority over you. But the king. <laughs> but the king told him to build. Not the governor. So was he going to go against the governor who's immediate authority or follow the king that's over the governor? Who are you going to listen to? There's all of a sudden a conflict, isn't there? Makes you want to doubt what the king really said because the king's not there. The governor could just mess it all up. Question whether or not this is a valuable effort. And discredit the claim that you have to do this because the governor's coming against it. must not be God's will. That's how we think. We get resistance. Must not be God's will. How many of us think like that? I think like that sometimes. If I get an answer of no, well, no, you know, I know what no means. It means no. <laughs> what part of no don't you understand goes through my head. I understand no real well. It means no. Doesn't mean yes. It means no. But the governor was talking to Nehemiah. He wasn't talking to me. And he wasn't talking to you. He was talking to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah found favor with the king. And God instructed Nehemiah to do this. And so, what he sees, and this is great, I love this, and I hope we, if nothing else, you grab this out of this message. He saw the enemy trying to pervert the work of God. Mm-hmm. Trying to use its authority in places it had none. It happens all the time. 
And so, Nehemiah saw their tactics and he knew that opposition would come when you start doing God's work. Expect people to question you. Expect people to doubt the validity of what you're doing. Expect people to discredit the fact that you can even do it or should. And sometimes those people are yourself. And sometimes they're your closest friends and confidants and people who should know that you're going to do what God said. Anybody who does not encourage you to do God's work is not on God's side. There is no fellowship of darkness with light. If God gives you a direction and something comes against it, it is not in fellowship with God. Nehemiah looks at it for what it is. It's a tactic. It's a war. And so Nehemiah says to these guys, you have no Chelek, Sadaka, or Zakaran here. Did that help? <laughs> Let me put that in English. <laughs> the word chelic is an heritage. An inheritance or a part. An allocated portion or an allocated share. When they divided up the twelve tribes of Israel, there was not a Horonite, there was not an Arab, and there was not a Ammonite in the bunch. <laughs> They had no portion in what God gave to them. And so, when they're trying to have authority over what was not given to them, Nehemiah said, you don't get a say. I don't care if you're governor or not. This is God's choice. Talk about trying to make somebody upset, right? He did. He said, you didn't come from here. You don't belong here and God didn't give it to you. God determines where you come from and where you'll be going when you come to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, the world tells you and the authorities tell you that may not have any right to speak into your life. You see, the enemy's going to tell you there is no place for you with God. It's Jerusalem. It's God's holy city. And someone's saying, you can't have it because we were here before you. I was here first. (laughs) Therefore, it's mine. Finders, keepers, exile weepers. Is that how it works with God? Or does God make a promise this is your land and your heritage forever? Does He mean it? And do you stand on that promise or is it just a good concept? That's what Nehemiah said. I stand on what God said. I live for what God said. And I'm not going to shadow or turn or anything. Because there's no darkness with God. There's no shadow of turning. I will stand in a light. The enemy's going to come, though. And I promise you, he's going to tell you that you have no 
portion of this place. You messed it up. Whatever you want to say there. Whatever the enemy tells you. No place here. It's not your heritage. God didn't give this to you. He gave it to your grandfather. I've heard that one before. This isn't your land. It was your dad's land. I've heard people say that before. If it was your land, you would have been rightfully yours. But your dad owned it. It's not your land. Just because you lived there your whole life doesn't make it your land. It means you have a heritage. You have a claim because of the history. Now here's something you may not have thought of. When God gives you a promise, He changes your heritage. (coughs) Truly, Scripture says we come from being no people to God's people. That the history of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Nehemiah, King David are not our history until Jesus Christ is our brother. Then all that history is your history. And that means Jerusalem is a place where you can worship and it's your heritage. Born by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if the enemy says, no, that's not yours because you're not an Israelite or you don't live there, you can say, Jesus Christ bought my way into the family. I am blood. Living there or not, I'm an exile. And I can come home to the place of worship anytime I need to. Do not tell me I cannot worship in this place. Never let the enemy tell you you can't worship where you're at. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and He's promised it to be yours. It's already mine. Now the meek shall inherit the earth, right? Or maybe it's yours already. You're the meek that have inherited the earth. So the second thing, that was the chilek, the heritage. Is it Zidaka? I'm not going to spell it for you. It would be too confusing. But I will say this. It means right. I don't mean right like this is my right. But as in moral righteousness or reason or claim. When we have a Sadaka right to something, it means that we have a righteousness that says we belong there. That there are certain people that get that and we're part of it. But the enemy is going to tell you you're not worthy. You're not valuable. John the Baptist, I love John the Baptist, and I was uh, going to speak on him this morning until this text came to me. But John the Baptist said, He, being Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. But the enemy tries to get you to focus on yourself and what you want. That way, when you start getting questioned about your value, if you don't feel good, you're going to agree. And once that happens, trouble begins. (laughs) I've heard a lot of people go, uh, man, I'm just getting beat up. Uh, well, stop fighting the devil. Let Jesus do it. You follow Him. Stop engaging in the enemy. Truly, why engage the enemy? He's already been defeated. Here's what the enemy says. Look at yourself compared to what God expects of you. 
You're not measuring up. You're not worthy. You're not acceptable the way you are. Or maybe the enemy says, I mean, you don't need God. You're smart. You can make your own decisions. You don't need this God thing. You don't really do it. And if it's a God thing, you really don't need it. But if He's a God creator and lover of your soul that you love just as much, you definitely need it. Or the enemy might say this. These truths do not apply to you. Yes, I know, says the enemy, and gives some concession that there was a time when this was all relevant. But the Bible's 2,000 years old. It's not for today. Be smart. Think. Take care of yourself. Nobody else will. That's what the enemy says. But John the Baptist, as soon as the enemy starts saying, you're no good, John the Baptist goes, doesn't matter about me. What matters is Jesus is good. Doesn't matter if I'm holy or not. It matters that God is holy and I belong to Him. He'll do with me as He wishes. The enemy says, you're not worth anything. You're right. But Jesus says that I'm still mad at Him. I may not be worth a box of rocks, but God loves me this way. The enemy can say, you're not worthy. And I go, you're right. Amen. And God takes me anyway. Thank you for reminding me He takes unworthy and makes it gold. He refines me. He takes what's broken and says, this is what I want. A broken and a contrite heart God wants. That's the only sacrifice He can accept. Not one that goes, I got this. I don't need you, God. I got this. I can do it. God will put the pride to shame quickly. And sooner or later, you'll understand. God really means that He wants you to come as you are. There's nobody qualified. None of us are qualified. Not you, not me. We're not qualified. We're just welcome. The only qualifications we need are to need God and to know it. That's all we need. If we don't know that we need God, we're in trouble. Because there's only two kinds of people the Scripture ever says. People who need God and know it, and people who need God and don't know it. Mm-hmm. There's only two kinds. Not black, not white, not male, not female, not slave, not uh, free, not Greek, not Gentile. Only ones who know they need God and those who don't know. That's the only distinction Scripture makes between people. And I don't know about you, but when Nehemiah stood before these three men of authority and said, you will never tell me my value and what this place means to me because you have no righteous claim to it. It is not your holy place. And then the third thing he says is Zikaron. You have no memorial here. What's a memorial? It's a written history or a record to commemorate the fact that this place has significance. The place where you worship or connect to God and His promises is that place that has your memorial. 
I promise you the place where I met Jesus Christ is holy to me. I go in there and I feel God all over the place. If you've met God in this room, then you know every Sunday you walk in here, you know God is here because He was here with you then. And you know this is a holy place. You have a memorial here. It's something that reminds you of God. The Arabs, the Amorites and Horonites did not have the Israelite God. There is no memorial there for them. Uh, but there is in the Israelite history, isn't there? Sure there is. A lot of it. Including Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and countless others who worship there. Of course there is. They have a connection. You see, what they were trying to say is what the enemy says, uh, ah, that was your father's, not yours. Now, of course, if they want to discredit someone who's not living right, or they think is not living right, they say just like father, like son. (laughs) But, when it comes to what they want to prove otherwise, they say, well, that's your father's, not yours. The enemy will twist everything they can. To make you feel like and to think like they're right. But when you know, when you know, like Nehemiah knew, he can say this. I say yes to God. And I say no to selfish interests and threats from people who come against God. And I say no to fears that tempt me. And things that would otherwise get me self-absorbed. Because I'm not about me. I'm about the heritage and the right and the memorial that God is with me at all times. When we begin to be self-absorbed and start saying yes to self-interest, we say things like this. It's my life. I can do what I want with it. It's my body. Don't tell me what to do with my body. It's my ministry. It's God's ministry. You're just a part of it. It's my choice. My life, my choice. Me, 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 me. When does it become about God instead of you? What I want is what I deserve. I don't feel like doing that. God is not asking you if you feel like worshiping Him. Nowhere in Scripture go. Worship God in this holy mountain if you feel like it. (laughs) He doesn't say that I am a God and I will be praised. Even by people who don't want to. Or don't feel like it. How about this one? I want it and that is enough for me to deserve having it. The word here is entitlement. Our country is full of people who think they're entitled to stuff because they want it. After all, years and years ago, it was a privilege to own a credit card. And nobody hardly could get them unless they didn't need them. And now people say, I can buy this on credit pay for a little bit of time so I can have what I want right now. I don't have to work for it because I deserve it because I want it. Where in Scripture does this say this is normal? 
Do you see what the enemy is doing? Breaking down fundamentals in our society and in each of our thought processes that you can have what you want, but don't, don't do it God's way. The enemy will tell you it's all about you. Nowhere in Scripture does it say it's all about you. And nowhere in Scripture does it say that if I just study the Bible and uh, pray, that I'll be good. God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want you to know about Him. He wants you to know Him. To be intrinsically connected inside, outside, and back in again. That you know Him and have experienced Him. That way when the enemy says there is no God, you'll go, I don't know who you're talking to, but you're not talking about my God. I know Him. Someone can say to me, well, you know, your sister is, uh, is crazy. I'll go, you don't know my sister. I know my sister. Which one are you talking about? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying is if you don't experience these things of God like Nehemiah did, and the enemy comes in, you're going to fall at everything. They're going to use logic and it sounds so appealing. And they're going to give you good reason. You know, you, you need to be comfortable. Your health is the most important thing in life. No, it's not. Jesus Christ is the most important thing in life. Everything else is second. Yet we say no to Jesus by what we do or don't do. Because the enemy has convinced us that it's all about me or what I want. And what was Nehemiah trying to do? What was his task? Do you all remember? Mm -hmm. To build the wall around the city and put the gates in place. For what reason? So that the people could go in and have a place to rest and worship God. To build the city and do the work of God was Nehemiah's task. And these guys are saying, no, don't do that. You're rebelling against the king. And the king, he knows better. He's got the letter in his hand that says, do it. Later in Nehemiah, they try to trap him again. Same dude, Sam Bellet, tries to get him into the temple. I'm telling you, the enemy doesn't quit. I want you to know that God wants you to put up the walls of the city so the enemy can't get in. To build the city. To do the work of God. Stop grumbling about what you deserve. It does not matter how you feel. God comes first. Oh, Wait a minute. Maybe that's sometimes. You know, after all, there's some days when just don't feel like talking to God because you don't know if God really cares. So, so I'll put God on the back burner today. It doesn't matter how you feel God comes first. It's non-negotiable with God. He puts you first. He's always ready to listen if you'll speak. And He's already just always willing to speak if you're willing to listen. God comes first. Period. Bottom line. End of story. When you are asked to do something for the ministry of God, the first thing you should say is, yes, now let me pray about it. Not, let me think about it. No, 
Let me pray about it. I don't want to. I don't think it's a good idea. I have other obligations. But yes, if God's asking me, yes. Why wouldn't I do what God wants? <laughs> we know why. Because the voices of the enemy say, well, how do I know if it's God's will? How do I know that He even really wants me to do it? Maybe He means somebody else. Maybe He means later. And all these voices, if God's asking, He means for you to do it. Not a question there. He's just asking for obedience. But you can't do that unless you love Him. And you've experienced His presence in your life. Otherwise, everything else will be your answer. Other than God. Your feelings and your wants often oppose the work of God. Work, our jobs, get in the way of work of God sometimes. Sometimes family obligations do. It's a very tough way to walk that line. But where do we say yes to God and where do we say no to God? Your feelings and wants can steal, kill, and destroy your relationship with God. Subtly, slowly. I will say this. Your claim, your value, and what is yours is determined by God alone. It's not your family. It's not your job. It's God's family. He owns them. You do not. It's not your work. It's God's occupation you're in. God gave it to you. We keep forgetting and thinking it's ours. That's where the enemy has got us confused. And Nehemiah says, I'm here to build God's city. I'm here to build God's city. I don't care what anybody else says. I'm here to build God's city. I don't care what I think or feel anymore. I'm here to build God's city. And you can't distract me. And that's what he says to these guys. you got no place to talk to me about this. It's God's work. you got no business telling me that this is not your... His work, and then it's your, biz, your buildings and your city because you don't own it. God never gave it to you. But we were here. We have people living in Jerusalem. Well, guess what happens? They clean out all, and I mean all, of the un, shall we say, unheritage families. One of those people in the group is got a child from one of these guys that's an Israelite and they have to remove that family from the Israelite camp. They've intermingled and they had to ask for forgiveness later because they compromised the Word of God. And when they found out all this stuff that they were doing, they came to the city and they saw what their fathers had done and they fell on their knees and said, God, we haven't worshipped You right. We haven't done it. And when they found out that God said, do not marry anyone but uh, uh, Israelite, and they had done it, they all repented, and they all had to get rid of the folks that were not done right. Why? Because no matter how it looks face value and how humanistic it looks to say, well, you can't do that. That's not, you know, that's mean to people. God said it. I can't go against God. What makes us think we can? 
I'm not sure. But all these things that are uprising inside of us and around us are not from God. The distractions are not from God. There is no fellowship of darkness with none. Not a speck. Don't let even a whisper of an idea against God come into your mind. There's no fellowship there. It's destruction. He gets a foothold. He takes the rest. But God, when He's honored, loved, establishes you, strengthens you, and gives you His kingdom. And He protects you from the enemies. And when you seek Him and His kingdom and His righteousness, all this other stuff you're worried about, He'll take care of that. That's His job. So, this morning I just have one question. Who are you saying yes to? Who are you listening to? What voices? The voice of God? Or something else? And if you think you don't know and haven't heard from God, don't know what His voice sounds like, then I recommend that you get rid of all the other ones and then wait to hear His. Because the other ones are distracting you from hearing Him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. And uh, for uh, men like Nehemiah who, against opposition, would wilt a person who didn't know You, didn't stand strong and was fearful without courage, would have backed away and said, you know, maybe we should just build this someplace else. Compromise. But God, You are not a God of compromise. And we keep trying to make them. And say, well, God, You'll forgive me. I'd rather ask for forgiveness rather than doing the work. God, help us not to compromise Your truth about us. And help us to shut out all the voices that don't come from You. Those uprisings in our world and the world around us, sometimes within us, are trying to destroy us. And they certainly take peace away. So this morning, Heavenly Father, I ask that You would uh, speak to each one of us and let us know that Your voice is knowable and Your will is good for us. In this place and time, Heavenly Father, I give You thanks and praise. Amen.